Emotionally, I'm not fine. I'm finished. What do you feel like? I don't know what I feel like. How, how, do, how do you feel like? What do you feel like? I feel like... You want to know how I actually feel? Just mess, messing, messing stuff around, yeah? I'm just pushing, pushing wires pulling and pushing wires into the correct positions. I'll tell you how I feel, Nicholas. I feel pretty. You look down, pretty. Actually. Oh, sorry, pretty down. Sorry, I missed the second part of that. Uh, well, I'm thank you. Now I feel less down because you think I'm pretty. Uh, just a bit tired. I'm a bit tired. I just had a nap because of being tired. Um, and everything's, everything's, I don't know, I don't I, I, you know what it is? It was the announcement that our theaters are opening and that made me sad. Theaters are not open. Why is that? Well, theaters are Well, open. I mean that, that they are opening. Right. Why would that make me sad? Why should that make me sad? What is wrong with me? Firstly, there's nothing wrong with you. Thank you. I want you to really... Correct answer. I want you to really embrace that idea fully to your bones, okay. down to your bones, down to your toes, whichever uh -huh. it makes you feel more comfortable. Okay. That there is nothing wrong with you. Thank you. You are whole and complete, Rob. Thank you, Nicholas. Nothing requires um, fixing. There's, there's no, no don't, don't, don't fix what ain't broke. Firstly, secondly, let us interrogate. Let us interrogate the the feeling around Cyril Ramaphosa, president of South Africa. Just in case you are listening to this podcast, you randomly came across it. You live in uh, Anchorage in Alaska. You are anchored down in Anchorage during the lockdown, but also not during the lockdown because you're a big fan of the TV series from the 1980s, Anchored Down, Anchored Down in Anchorage, which may not be a TV series, may in fact be a song or a lyric it was definitely a from song. a song. It was, it was a, song. a song. Wasn't it Tanita Tikaram or yes, something like that? Yes, Anchored Down, Anchored Down in Anchorage. Anchorage, Whatever. Alaska. If you, uh, something if like you are that. A, not important. Uh, I don't know. I will do want to add that... I'll, a listener in Anchorage, Alaska, is a, is my favorite listener. They are my favorite as well, and in my mind, are they two also, of them? No, they're one. They're one person. But they recently did a DNA test, and they discovered they're actually fifty one percent Jewish. Our listener uh, in in Anchorage is is fifty one percent Jewish, which technically makes them one of the frozen chosen. And that's a joke I've been working up to for 11 episodes of this particular podcast. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> um, and I can't remember how we got there. But, yes, we were explaining who the president of the country is. And then he made an announcement last night that said, basically, you can visit a casino or a theater. Or what else did he say? I didn't actually listen. 
to be honest. I never heard the word theater, and I was listening. I didn't hear the word theater. Um, apparently, it is so. It is so. Uh, Alan Committee messaged me and said theatres are slowly starting to open. Um, I think it's also worthwhile pointing out to our listener in in Anchorage that um, that when we say last night, we don't mean last night when this episode reaches your beautiful cold ears. It is actually a while ago now. But yeah. now, as we're talking, when we record this, of course, is a different now. It's a now wherein uh, President Cyril Ramaphosa last night announced this. Yet you listen to it in the future, dear frozen listener. And my attitude may have changed by the time you're listening to this. And um, and we may and this may well feel like a dated conversation. But I I, I digress. Um, what did you want to get into, Nicholas? I wanted to get into the, the interesting uh, paradox. I think it's a, a, a paradox because on the one hand, we feel a certain relief that things are gradually opening up. But on the other, there's what you are describing. There's a, let's, let's, let's get into that, Rob. What is that feeling of sadness? You know, I, I remember I actually brought this up in one of our very early episodes and I was like, I don't want things to go back to normal. And it is because the, the lockdown has created a unique bubble of time in our lives that will never be repeated again. Uh, and I'll be honest, I, I live in... Um, in a little bubble of privilege, and I've managed. We've managed to survive this this lockdown. Uh, I mean, it certainly affected my income, and I've had to, you know, take uh, measures in terms of uh, protecting my home and uh, my finances. So it's I'm not unaffected by it, but I have, I have for the most part survived it, and I've been incredibly grateful for the time I've been able to spend at home and with my family and I realized I really like it I really like just being at home I really like spending time with my family I really like not having to gig all the time mm. and and there was a like a real moment of dread when I heard that, of like, oh, I've got to go back. And it's, it is a real, what is the word you use now? There's a paradox. Um, a paradox because I love what I do. I truly, truly love what I do. I love being a performer. I love being on stage. It's like it is in many ways my life's purpose. But, but then at the same time, there is this dread. I have to acknowledge that there's a real sense of dread. And I'm not exactly sure what it is. I don't know if it's, um, I don't know if it's, you know, maybe it's just the, the, the lifestyle of it, the driving. I think maybe it's connected with, like, I'm happy to go and gig and do some super rad gigs that earn lots of money. But I, I think it's that going back and like the slog. You know, like that um, 
five, six nights a week just to keep the wheel turning, you know, just to keep mm. the the wolves at bay. Like, I guess I'm deeply, deeply in my bones over that. And, and I, as I'm saying it, I know that it's, I am speaking from a place of, of privilege because I do get to do what I love sincerely and I, and it, it, it affords me a wonderful lifestyle. But at the same time, I, I do, I have this feeling. Yeah. So I think that's part of it. I think there's more to it. I don't. I have a um, something I'd like to test with you. Yeah. And my senses, and and it was interesting because there was a certain fatigue for me prior to lockdown with what you're describing, doing endless number of gigs. I can remember being on stage at the Cape Town Comedy Festival. Hugh um, Goldsmith was there. We were discussing it a couple of episodes ago, and just like. This just feels tired and and enough. It just it all feels relentless, and I almost did want a break from it. And we've had this very surreal break where we've still gotten to do the things we love, but as you describe in the in the sort of in a cocoon, the cocoon of our own mm. homes and families and the intimacy and the challenges that that's brought. But there's been a real intimacy to the whole experience. And, and, and it's, I think, also useful to remember that intimacy is a function of being fully known or sharing yourself fully. And that's also what this time has brought. We've, we've shared ourselves openly and vulnerably, not just with each other, but with our audiences. And it's created this extraordinary feeling of community. And we're perhaps a little... I'm sure like what normal will be like, will we go back to how it was before? Will there be all that traveling that kind of takes up all that time and energy? And the other part I wanted to say was keeping the wolves from the door. I think that's an interesting thing that you said, because there was a sense of, I'm just like a hamster on a, I'm like a hamster on a body hamsters runner. Wheels. A hamster on a wheel. Yeah, having to be like a hamster on a wheel to keep the wolves at, at bay and it's and the kind of exhaustion of that. So um I think there's an opportunity once things return to some degree of normality to recreate or create a new future and a new context for yourself, for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, I guess the thing is that it felt like the lockdown is, it has done that and it was doing that. And I, I, it took a huge adjustment, but I felt like I was finally getting into that adjustment. And I worry that, like, it's not, <laughs> I mean, it seems, sounds so ridiculous to say, but I, I, I worry that it hasn't been long enough. So that the so that the paradigm can shift completely, you know, for me personally. But I think there's also like a, I think it's a it, it's bigger than also just my own thing. It's a, it's a feeling for the world. That sounds so ridiculous coming out of my mouth, but I feel like, um, 
and I'm, I don't know, I'm struggling to articulate it because I don't, I don't fully understand what I'm feeling. Uh, but what you were saying now makes sense to me. It makes sense. I've, I've enjoyed, I've just enjoyed like, you know, this also this process of you and I talking through this, and the people we've got to speak to and how, uh, how we can reimagine ourselves and how this lockdown has is, is forced us to reimagine ourselves. And that to me has been incredibly exciting. And I guess there's this, just that sense of dread of like, oh, it's, we're, not, we're not finished that metamorphosis yet. Like we're coming out of the cocoon too soon. I'm, I've only gotten half my butterfly wing sorted out. Um, and I guess, I guess there's a, a more kind of um, a bigger perspective thing that – that's right at the back of my mind about worrying about the all of us re you know coming through that coming through that metamorphosis. But I also realize that's such a that is such a ridiculous thing to say because a lot of people have you know they they desperately need for this thing to come to an end so that they can just survive. So I'm very aware of the 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 not hypocrisy, but of the 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 that it's a problematic thing that I'm talking about, but there's definitely something there that uh, it's almost like we have somehow been forced to invent a new realm of possibility for ourselves during this time. Yeah. And that is like, yeah, it's like finding a new muscle that you never quite exercised before. And you feel like, Hey, you've just started going to the gym and I haven't quite mastered this. I, I, I've gotten the the taste of it, but but I can I'm, feel it. I can feel yeah. it. I can feel the potential of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I think it's. I don't think we think because we we've developed it inside of this context that it's limited to here and being locked down and on a screen. But I don't think so. I think it's a possibility for being human. Actually, that we've been forced yeah. to explore here. And we can take it out there. In fact, we need to take it out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look. Also, on a on a on a kind of a practical level, also what is what's going on with the with the announcement of theatres reopening is is that it it is a bit of a trap because theatres can only reopen with very very limited capacity to to maintain social distancing um, and with very strict cleaning protocols which are prohibitively expensive. Uh, and what that means is that even though theatres are reopening, you can't, it's not sustainable from a financial point of view. So I guess there's an anxiety for me in terms of like, okay, so then if that is happening, it means we go back to that old normal, but even like with even more, even more hamstrung from a point of view of trying to make a living. Um, and, and, and then that that shift kind of takes responsibility away from government to to kind of give the arts and entertainment sector meaningful aid because they can say, "Oh, well, we opened the theatres," um, and and also it means that maybe the appetite for online uh, content is then diffused. 
And that is the, that is the one thing that has given us this opportunity is the fact that it, it's not available. It's not available anywhere else. And so, you know, people are out there seeking community through through entertainment online. And I guess I'm worried that now we're caught in, in almost a worse situation in that we, the, the, the audience is being shepherded away from the, the online space, but we, we cannot fully occupy the live space because of the restrictions, which is worrying. That worries me as well. I think that's a, more of a practical concern than, than the, the deeper anxi emotional anxiety I'm, I'm feeling around the loss of this particular bubble in time. It's also just there's this like you, I mean it's just, what I was gonna say like it's it, this will never happen again. I mean hopefully it never happens again. Honestly, I mean we don't want a another global pandemic that that causes the amount of destruction that this has caused. But but this this thing of like everything stopping like the world stopped. And that is, there is something incredibly powerful about that of like us resetting. And yeah, so, so already I have, a, I have a kind of nostalgia for it. Like, and I'm acknowledging that nostalgia. Like, oh shit, it's, it's going to be over soon. And we will, we will talk about it in the past tense. And that, that, remember that time when we used to spend all that time on Zoom calls checking in with each other and how we had all that time with our families and how we really were forced to re-examine our relationships with ourselves and with all the people around us um like i you know i have this when i was studying at university um i had this acute sense of like this is a window of time and I knew, like, this is only four years of my life. My degree is four years, and I'm only going to be this age for this amount of time. And it's in, very much in this little bubble in this tiny little town in the Eastern Cape where, you know, it, it, it is – it's finite. And and as I came to the end of end of that period, I was, a, was faced with that sense of, like, impending nostalgia. Like, I knew that it was coming to an end and I would look back on that period of my life for the rest of my life as this moment in time. And I, weirdly enough, I've been thinking about that time a lot during, during lockdown. And I think, it's, I think it's because of that. It's because, like, oh, it's, it's, this is one of those things that cannot be repeated I feel so confused though. I don't know how I well, feel. I don't think there's anything to be confused about. I think all of these emotions coexist at the same time and there's nothing I don't think there's anything unusual about that right now. Firstly. Secondly, I want to tell you that worry is a physical, emotional, biological response to what's not happening now. Yeah. Yes, and uh, I guess that's what I'm getting caught up in 
is as 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 the ground starts to shift again, I'm projecting ahead again. And what was so wonderful about lockdown was like pointless to project ahead. You have to be in the moment, every single moment. And that's exactly what's happening right now. Is I'm I guess maybe that's my anxiety, is that I am I'm becoming aware that I am in many ways resetting to that kind of headspace and I'm not being kind of consciously guiding myself through that of like okay just be in the moment now this is it's in and now it's now now is now and now we must deal with this and yeah so it's not necessarily useful to be nostalgic about what has been or anxious about what will be and that's, I guess, that's the ongoing, that's the ongoing practice. And also, I really like what you said about all those things coexisting at the same time, because that has been, I mean, that's been how it's been throughout this thing. It's like just a maelstrom of emotions and feelings and everything coexisting inside your little bubble all the time. And that's okay that is okay listen we want you to know that all of it is okay you are okay so okay i want to speak to our guest i'm very excited about uh having tumi Meraki on the show today there she is tumi how are you i'm fantastic first of all you're in the States. How, why, and how, what's going on? Where are you at right now? Oh, have you started? Uh, look. <laughs> is, this, is this us? Is it on? Are we doing this now? Oh, my God. It's happening. So, <laughs> uh, yes, I'm in the States. Um, why am I in the States? Hey, you asked many questions back to back, eh? Um, I know. I'm in the States. I'm in the States because uh, our family got green cards recently. So we had to present ourselves in person to get them. We weren't actually moving. Corona kind of made us stay longer than we intended to. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So we had come here just to pick up the green cards, get reentry permits and head back and leave my husband here so that he can, you know, get settled so that when we come, we just move in and life continues. Um, and then the Rona happened and the Rona was like, actually, I mean, you are here. Let's just make nice. So that's what's happened. How long were you supposed to be there for? We're only supposed to be here for two months because we arrived here in March and our plan was to be back like the first week of May. Oh, wow. Yeah, because the, oh, the idea wow. was the idea was to kind of uh, sample America and, and go, this is where we'd mm. like to settle because we were looking between New York and uh, L.A. as places to settle because they different flavors. It's like deciding between Joburg and Cape Town. So we wanted to uh. do that and then spend some time in Virginia as well. Instead and then instead, you went to the free state. You know why? I'll tell you why. We were in New York as the numbers were just flying up. Like just before okay. it was declared that this is the epicenter of the coronavirus, we were in New York. And I literally turned to my husband and I was like, my friend, they have just announced that this place is going to lockdown. This was like a Thursday. I'm like, these guys have said from Sunday, it's over. 
from midnight, nobody's going anywhere. And we were staying, obviously, in, apart- in an apartment. We've got three kids who are energetic. And I was like, there's no way we're going to be locked in here with these kids. They're going to lose their minds. We're going to lose our minds. And I'm convinced we're all going to get the coronavirus. So yeah. we we uh, hired a car, we hired this giant SUV, and we drove four hours out, drove to uh, Virginia to a, a town called Herndon, uh, which is about half an hour away from uh, Washington, D.C. And we've settled here, at least here, there's a yard, it's a, it's a freestanding house. What did you, how did you, did you blindfold yourselves and like somebody put a finger on the map? How did you decide on Herndon? Virginia. Family. <laughs> family. You always uh, you go family with this family. Okay. Yes, yes. So you, you always have to go with this family, friend. Because even if you're going to settle right. independently, it's always nice to start off somewhere with a community. You know what I mean? Because most of our friends are in yeah. LA, but we couldn't even get into a flight. We couldn't even get onto a flight and go to LA. So we're like, let's do fam. And dear listeners, uh, I just want to create a, a picture for you, listener, if you're just listening to the audio of this. Jumia Raka is actually not just in Herndon, Virginia. She's actually literally on the inside of a wardrobe <laughs> in yes. Herndon, Virginia. I can actually see her husband's yes. shirt yes. hung up yes. next to her yes. inside it's a wardrobe. The, it's the quietest place. It's actually a, a closet, right? And I do radio. I do a breakfast radio show every morning uh, from 7 to 10. Uh, so I needed a place. And also voiceovers so i needed a place that i can turn into a mini studio so literally it's littered with towels everywhere because towels are the best absorbers of of sound and i've got my sound equipment in here and yeah the other room is a a film studio i've got a giant green screen i've got lights i've got it's insane i've got stands like have you been traveling around with all that equipment or did you did you go there when you got when you arrived in virginia you set everything up or you just yeah got... no as soon as the the rona hit as soon as the rona hit i was like we have a choice we can sit here and be miserable and hope that you know it all ends and we start earning again or we should we can arm ourselves so that we keep earning you know and i knew yeah. that the easiest way to keep earning is if you're doing voiceovers because you don't have to show up for that uh if we're writing yeah. and if we're shooting stuff you know so it's been it's been really good it's been really good because otherwise my friend eh, yeah I would be begging South Africa to fly me home right now. I think you are perhaps the po- the poster the poster girl for this new um, environment that we're in, where you are able to present a South African radio show from a wardrobe <laughs> in Virginia. Listen, it's a walk-in closet. There's a difference. <laughs> like, get it right. Oh my god! Like, show some respect. <laughs> So what time what time are you doing recording the radio show that's happening in the morning in South Africa? Oh my gosh. Talk about nightmare. So I have to be up at um so I have to be up at quarter to midnight for the technical test. And then the show starts at one. So take at uh, quarter to 12, then at around 12.15, it's pre-production. Then we're on air from 1 a.m. my time. And I get off air at 4 a.m. And I go straight to bed. It's crazy. It's <gasps> crazy. And then you, you wake up to three children and the husband oh, no, that's and insane. other people. Let me tell you what my kids are doing. So because the kids are, we didn't take them out of the South African school because obviously we weren't planning on staying. Um, so they've been doing Google classrooms and attending school virtually. But the boys insisted on attending with their, with their classmates. So literally they've been going to bed with me at like 3 p.m. 
And then they wake <gasps> up. They wake up at 2 a.m. for class. Wake up at 3 a.m. for class. Um, and it's you been, are kidding me. I That's kid not. crazy. And not our idea. Not our idea. Um, because they would go to Google Classrooms and then they'd see comments from their classmates or they'd see like a recorded a recording of whatever happened in class. And they were like, we want to do this. We don't want to be left out. So what do you do? You know, they're mad. Wow. They're proper How mad. How are they coping with it? Um, my firstborn never ever wants to leave America, but I think it's because he's really? such a hermit. <laughs> uh, but the other two are like, when are we going back? They're like, is there Corona in South Africa? Because we don't like America. America has Corona. I'm like, guys, even South Africa has Corona. Trust me. They don't believe me. They think we're just keeping them away from their South Africa. So they're like, no, I want to go to South Africa. It doesn't have Corona. <laughs> oh my God. And uh, what's it like? What's it been like doing the, doing the show for you? First, first of all, from, the point of view of it having that that time shift being completely different, but then also being so so far away. Um, it's been insane. So what I've done is I've decided I must make myself a roving reporter and just give you know frontline news of what's happening in the US. So that's helped me contextualize being here and doing the show at home. Uh, and also it's in Setswana, right? It's a PBS, it's a Setswana uh, radio station. Um, so also it's funny because while I'm here, I have no reason to speak Setswana, right? Aside from the five minutes that my kids wow. allow me to teach them. So yeah. it's also like a, a mind flip to have to go, okay, we're tuning into uh, pure unadulterated Setswana because also, you know, in, with the PBSs, you don't mess with the language. Huh? You can't play games. You must, you speak the ancestors Setswana. You don't speak street Setswana. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that's also been fun. Um, yeah, it's it's That's it's fascinating. It's it must weird. feel like a parallel dimension yes. that you've stepped into there. Yes, yes, it is. Yes, it wow. is. Yeah, yeah. But I miss home. I miss home. Like, I, Do you? I'm ballooning and I'm like, I'm ballooning just because the way food is prepared here is so bizarre. If you're not cooking your own food, you're guaranteed you're eating nonsense. I mean, my kids love the pizza and I'm like, this pizza is the size of your whole body. Like, I expect you to at least take four days with that slice. You can't finish that slice now. You know, so <laughs> it's insane. Oh my god! I feel like I have to put more effort and at home to gain weight. Here, yeah, it's just look at the food. <laughs> you, via osmosis, Aye, you, you gain weight via osmosis. Um, Tubes, what was the what was the plan in terms of getting work there, and how how you adjust? What is how are those plans adjusted now because of Corona? Well, uh, so when we arrived here, I had a couple of gigs lined up. I had meetings as well. I had a meeting with a with an agent planned, and um, yeah, the Rona hit and everything got cancelled. A lot of things got moved, uh, so that was a little bit tricky. Um, mm. I'd also just had, you know, I, I um. There's a series with shot, right? A sci-fi series. So I was like, ah, this is dope. It's showing in the US. This is the best time for me to be going to an agent and saying, this is who I am. You can catch me on this channel right now. So I had uh, a plan. There was Vagrant, Vagrant Queen, Vagrant right? Queen, yeah. So I was like, ah, there's ah, a plan here. Yes. Yeah, so I was like, I'm going to ride on the back of Netflix. I'm going to ride on the back of this thing. Uh, and on the relationships I have already in the in the US. Because I was also a recipient of a Young, Gifted and Black Awards. Um women in empowerment right women empowerment awards sorry uh -huh. and so i was like ah, all of these things are working together this is how i'm gonna start you know building some kind of profile here the, the timing is so good it's so uh, good and then and then so it's bad so bad at the same time um yeah so what's your plan now 
Well, right now, uh, the industry here is reopening. So there's auditions happening. Um, so obviously there's union and non-union. And obviously I'm non-union and I don't have representation. So there's a limited number of things I can audition for. But ever since this Black Lives Matter thing movement flared up, uh, a lot of the casting briefs that have come in are actually asking for Black across the spectrum, not just African-American. So I'm also Amazing. like, okay, I'm going to jump on this opportunity because even if you don't get the gig it's so nice to get your muscle working and getting yourself used to auditioning yes. again and preparing and getting better at and it, so. and i would imagine auditioning specifically in that context of this whole new paradigm yeah yeah but my big thing is i came here to do comedy and to write because i felt like with writing i can still be working in south africa and be working here and even with the voice stuff yeah. the voice stuff we'd already bought the sound equipment what we didn't have was the plan for putting together a studio so quickly but we already had the recording okay. equipment because we knew we'd be doing voiceover voice work from here so my plan is to eat friend because you know people <laughs> <laughs> i feel like when young people want to get into any industry into the entertainment industry specifically they have this thing of you arrived then you've arrived then things just throw themselves at you and you're eating and you're eating and and that's not mm. it you you have to stay relevant you have to keep working at your craft but you also need to keep evolving so for me, this was part yeah. of my evolution process where I was like, in South Africa, I, I, I don't feel like I'd peaked enough, but I'd become a bit jaded. So I needed fresh air so that I can okay. find my zing again, you know? Yeah, that's actually something we were talking about. We were talking about being jaded and how this process has interrupted mm. all of that. And, and what we really also wanted to talk to you about and perhaps our listeners need a little bit more background in terms of what you dealt with when you were hosting your show yes, at Jacaranda yes. around, uh, around racism. And, and I guess you're in the States, Black Lives Matter yeah. protests. It's a different flavor, but the same Kool-Aid. Mm. And what has been your experience there, your experience here, the connection between the two? Uh, you know... Yeah, I was triggered, I'll be honest. I was quite triggered when this thing uh, flared up because I was like, I know what it's like to speak out and be attacked for speaking out, you know? Mm. Uh, with this, I can't breathe. And um, uh, when I wrote in my book, and I finally wrote about the experience in Jacaranda in my book, I actually wrote a poem called I Can't Breathe. So I found it such an interesting coincidence that, you know, George wow. Floyd said mm. I can't breathe before he died. And because when I wrote that poem, I was speaking about how it felt to be in that space, to be policed like that by, by white people. And I'm going, I can't believe I'm yeah. speaking like mm. this. These are my people. I'm a African. Like, I, I live a jelly tot life of every flavor, every moment in my life, not just at work. And here's a space that has forced me to go, you're forgetting. You're forgetting. <laughs> There's a group of people who are on edge because of a history that is unresolved, a history that um, has unresolved issues where mm. some people are feeling like at some point something's going to happen. They're just waiting for you to come at them. Then people who are also feeling like at any point this is going to turn around and repeat itself. Then another corner that's just going, uh, can't we all just get along? Um, so yeah, it was, it was hard. It was hard as well to realize that people can be that ugly. I, I think I'm one of the people who was a little bit blindly optimistic and, 
and I think it's because you know when you're doing stand up, you speak to everyone. When I looked at the audiences, not just in the lineup shows I did, but in my one man shows, I had different races, man. I had different races, different genders in my shows. So I was like, okay, this means as a South African, my people know I'm speaking from a place, from a good place, you know. And when I was yeah. attacked for speaking from a place of truth, it hurt. It hurt because I went, oh, so your love is conditional. You love me if I'm clowning and if it's all good and if it's fun. But if I give you the truth as it stands, A, you, you make it about you. B, yeah. you not only want to put me in my place, you, you are so touched, you threatened me. I was threatened with gang rape. I was threatened with murder. Jeez. You know, um, when we had the car accident, it was called karma and there were celebrations. But you know what I love about what happened with the car accident is I saw white people call other white people out. Because as black people, I've seen us do it. I've seen us the minute the, uh, you know, the BLFs of the world say some shit. We are there. We're like, hey, 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 whoa backed out you know uh we are, we are we're very quick to disagree with the with the juliuses of the world and i had felt i had felt like the white community particularly on social media would would hold back and just let the racist rent they'll keep quiet it's like watching a two-year-old throw a tantrum like they just watch and let them calm down and then they'll say one liberal thing and we all move on so it was nice to yeah. see white south africans jump in and go actually no you're not speaking on our behalf don't go and attack someone and then claim you're speaking on all of us for on behalf of all of us as a group, because I feel like that that conversation is important. You know what I mean? Um, but it also yeah. it reminded me the importance of comedy. That if I had taken that thing and wrapped it in comedy and presented it there, I would have been sending the same message, but it would have been received differently. Because in that space, uh, in that space, we've agreed. We've kind of agreed that here we're going to talk about truths that are uncomfortable and truths that we're not allowed to talk about at the dinner table. But we'll talk about them here because this is our dark corner, you know. And here I can laugh. Mm -hmm. I can laugh in recognition. In reality, if I say I recognize I'm admitting a guilt I'm not prepared to admit to, you know, to. And I wasn't even asking for that, Nick. I wasn't, guys, I wasn't asking for any guilt. You know, it's funny because the conversation started with why do we keep bringing up apartheid? Julia says things and gets away with them. And I was like, okay, let me explain to you why the anger and the, the apartheid thing will always come back. And then I used the bicycle analogy. Hey, yeah. how, maybe, maybe, happy, maybe the problem is what happens. So, so just for, just for the listener, can you, can you actually just contextualize that and tell us what the bicycle analogy so that, was so we can. Okay. So the way I explained black anger and, uh, why apartheid will, will keep coming up is because I said apart, uh, the end of apartheid and reconciliation is like when a bully in a playground takes your bike from you and then you go crying to the adult. The adult comes and then says to you, no, share the bike with the bully. So you're not seeing yourself uh, vindicated. You're not seeing justice. You're not seeing anything that acknowledges your pain. What you are getting here yeah. is, okay, look, this person wants this thing. Rather shade with them. But they took it from me. They attacked me. And you're not acknowledging yeah. that. It felt that way. And I was like, that's where this thing is coming from. How it turned to Tumi Murake saying white people should be attacked. No, should be punished. The words were, Tumi Murake says white people should be punished. Then the other thing was, Tumi says who picked Afrikaners. And who picked up that particular angle? I don't know, dude. All I know is the show ended. I went into a meeting when I came out. Security was there to escort me to my car because they said death threats were arriving at the, were coming into the station. My manager had been calling. I had 10 missed calls from my husband. I was like, what's going on? They're like, yo, remove your name from your car. Come straight home. 
it's it's gone bad. And then I was like, ah, it's just a crazy ride. This thing will be over by the end of the week. Little did I know that in a, in a, in a, when something like that happens, there are also outdated groups that are irrelevant, to be honest, in the, in the society mm. and, and to the African community, to be honest, African community. And they use that opportunity to try and look relevant again to try and look uh, like they still had mm. some sort of power. And so I became the example. And it was easy for them because I'm a woman. To be honest with you, what for me, what I think complicates what happened with me is that I'm a woman. If I was a black dude and that happened, it would not have blown up like that. I'm telling you now. This is not just about racism. It's about patriarchy at play. Because even when uh, I, I ended up having to sit down with these guys, I was the only woman sitting in a group of men the only other woman was my producer at the time. And I hadn't invited her in, but her whiteness granted her the privilege to be in there without it being questioned. And the only other yeah. person of color in there was um, Mighty, who is a friend of mine, who is a political student. And I was like, come, because you're a peaceful guy. You're of the correct hue for this situation. So I don't feel I'm pushed. And we went in yeah. and he was really good for me because A, I felt like I had real backup. And B, he kept emotion out of it. He was very good for me because he knew me. And he was able to keep me from losing my cool <laughs> and from looking defeated. Because there was a point I remember I started to slouch and he literally poked me with a pen, wrote me a note and said, sit up and face and, and said head up. So I sat up and I put my head up and I could see the difference in how then I yeah. was being spoken to by listening to him. So yeah, it was, it was a huge thing. It made me realize that as South Africa... There are, there are those of us who've moved forward, you know, who are living the, the what do they call it, neo-racist life where we're like, ah, but the race is a construct. We're past this construct. We get it. It's a stupid thing. It doesn't make sense. We love each other. But we cannot ignore the fact that we live in a place which is run on that painful history. And we need to keep yeah. poking at it the way I've been able to poke at it with comedy. You know what I mean? <sighs> oh, Nick, for this podcast, you must also post a picture of us in bed. I still have a picture of us in bed. In Zambia. Mm. Mm. White sheets and everything. Speaking of nostalgia. But it's funny because the look on your face looks like you're going, save me. <laughs> I'm lying there like, ah, and you're going, save me. <laughs> good times to me more. Okay. Yeah, good times. But you guys are the good guys. You know, we need more good guys. Like, uh, one of the conversations, uh, you know, because there are many happening around this GBV thing um, I've had is uh, working in a space that is so male dominated. I'm really grateful that I haven't had to encounter the poison so much. I know there are problematic comedians out there, but I haven't had to have that experience. And I'm really grateful, you know, when it did happen, it was like a once off. And that person is that everybody knows them to be that. But I've been around such protective respectful and supportive men which is you guys which is the guys i started out in comedy with you know um and and you guys need to own that as well like i i really think um yeah own it because it, it will always be unsung because there's so few of us women in the industry anyway to talk about it but it's 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 been important for me because it's the reason why i go into a room full of men and i'm like oh, so what i'll take you on now you know because bigger men than you have walked with me on this journey you know it's dope well we love you thank you for being with us thanks for having me guys 
Hashtag Black Lives Matter. Hashtag Coronavirus. Hashtag, hashtag. You guys are in Wuhan. Please be careful. I really, <laughs> guys, take care of yourselves. <laughs> So much, you guys. <laughs> That's funny. All right, good. Good luck editing this this audio. Okay. Bye. 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 Honeymoon studio. Uh, I was thinking earlier today. When we look back on this period of time, this will stand out as this kind of constant thing that we did, that we shared, and we stood here for each other together and explored the whole gambit, the whole spectrum of emotion that we went through. And it was beautiful, and we loved each other, and we loved everybody else, even Someone far, 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 far away in Anchorage, Alaska, who may only inhabit our minds. Thank you. There's a little click. I clicked my fingers and threw it at the screen. Is that the thing that happens on this podcast? <laughs> Go away. Go be with the families. Family. Cheers, bro. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.